0: And the power of prayer and the difference that prayer makes and we have talked about Moses interceding for his people and we talked about Elijah and his quick prayer of power and against the prophets of Baal. We talked about Hannah praying for a child and we talked about Hannah's prayer of praise. And tonight I'd like us to open to the book of 2 Kings. I guess we we're in 2 Kings this morning. We're going to be in 2 Kings again tonight. And we're going to talk about Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance. Hezekiah's prayer for deliverance. Let's open in prayer this evening as we look at this passage of scripture. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, we can come to this house and to open your word and to find you to be faithful and lord i pray that um, you might just bless us as we open the bible that you might grant us wisdom and understanding and give us clear knowledge of what is going on and lord i just pray that you might be glorified in all that we do all that we read all that we say help us to learn from your word in jesus name we pray amen In 2 Kings chapter 19, in verse 14, 2 Kings 19 and 14, it says, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord, and said, O Lord God of all Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O God. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that that you are the Lord God, you alone. As I, as I think about Hezekiah Great man of God. And we've heard of Hezekiah. One, we talked about camp. Up at, going up to camp every summer, one of the things that got kids excited at the beginning of chapel, and we did it every every day, uh, is they would come into chapel, and as you're trying to get kids adjusted to chapel, you did a sword drill. And you got those kids, and it always seemed like you had those kids that went to Sunday school every Sunday. You'd have the same five kids up front because they knew where their Bibles were. And they, other kids would get excited, excited if they could get up there. And they'd get excited to get points for their team and everything. But you could always get kids by saying, okay, put your swords up in the air. And you'd say, okay, now the verse for today is Hezekiah 3.16. And they go, Hezekiah three, And they start looking through their Bible, and they look for Hezekiah 3:16. You know, I bet you I could get half the people in this church on Hezekiah 3.16, right? Because uh, we hear Hezekiah, and we think like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and he was a good king. Very good king. And in, even in the land of Judah, which had a better track record than, than their neighbors to the north, the land of Israel, Hezekiah stood out as a king that did what was right. He tore down the idols. He stood for what was right. Uh, he, he made the word of God go out into the land and he he took the heart of a nation and directed it towards God the good king and you get to this verse and you find out that sometimes bad things happen to good kings to good people as i think about this one of the one of the most terrible things that happened in all of Judah's history as Sennacherib comes bearing down and surrounding the city and things are not good in the city. And I just have always pictured uh, in this story, there's a man by the name of, uh, that comes from the Assyrians, Rabshakeh. And he comes to the gate of the city and he starts telling all the terrible things that that sennacherib and his army are going to do to the land and and hezekiah says hey stop speaking in in our native tongue in hebrew speak in your own language we have people that can interpret that but he says i know I, I want everybody to hear all the terrible things that's going to happen to your land so that they can be terrified of what's about to happen to them and it's at that moment that that hezekiah takes this letter from sennacherib and lays it out before god and says god this is what we're up against. Do something about this so your name can be seen. Do bad things happen to good people who are striving to serve God? Absolutely. And I've always said, you read you read 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah. You see a tale of two cities that face the same disaster from Assyria. You see Samaria in the north. And Jerusalem in the south. And Samaria does not rely on their God. And all the terrible stuff that Jerusalem was hearing about happened in Samaria. And all the danger that was at its doorstep, God protected Jerusalem from. It was a tale of two cities. And there are going to be problems that are going to face you the same as they are going to face the world. I mentioned um, Linda Watrous this morning uh, to pray for her and please be in prayer for her. Her family as they have as they have uh, that funeral for her best friend. She called me on Wednesday and told me how. This person and their family died, and this person in their family died, and this person and their, her family died. Three people, one week, in her family passed away. One of them, her cousin, Norma, her best friend, passed away on Wednesday. Broke her heart. And then on top of all that, as she called yesterday, she laid out that she was just under attack from the devil. We need to, we, I, I'd encourage you. If you got, if there's somebody you want to pray for tonight, pray for Linda Watchers. And I told her that I'd be telling you guys to pray for her. And I think about, and there are so many situations like that. It seems like when something bad happens, it begins to break, you know, you're, you get the same attacks as the devil does. But what are you going to do? Are you going to be like Hezekiah? And pray for deliverance. Maybe you've heard me talk about um, Hezekiah and the, the siege of Jerusalem before. But I've said, if you think through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, think about the big stories in the Bible, the ones that get a lot of attention. And I get, oh, Noah's Ark, and Moses and the Red Sea, and... Jesus dying on the cross, and Samson, and Gideon, and uh, Peter, and Paul. You know, Paul getting bit by a snake while he's shipwrecked. And we have these big stories in the Bible. But we usually want to ask people about big stories in the Bible. I usually don't hear about Sennacherib attacking Jerusalem. But if you read the Bible cover to cover... Other than Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. There is no narrative that's given more attention than the story of Sennacherib invading Jerusalem and Hezekiah's response for that. Did you hear that? Like we talk about Christmas. The story of Jesus being born. We, all, we, we know the story of Christmas and Jesus being born. Every little detail Because we talk about it, we spend every December talking about it. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. The Bible does get a lot of attention to that. We even add in some things into that story that the Bible doesn't have in it. But the attention that the Bible gives to it, it actually spends less time talking about Jesus being born than this story that we have here. Isn't that kind of something to think about? But I've done that exercise many times. I've said, tell me the stories that you think are like the biggest, most important, the Bible gives the most attention to. And I've never once had this story come up. Isn't that interesting? Nobody's ever said, oh, usually when I say the story of Sennacherib and Hezekiah, they go. I've never heard that one. And But this is an important story. And surrounding it, the pivotal thing, this story is found in, like I said, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. Is that Hezekiah takes these threats of Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. And all he does is he takes those threats. And he says, God, I'm giving them over to you. Take this. And help me. And you think about that. Sennacherib says, Hezekiah is going to go and he's going to tell you to go and pray to your God. Well, what's uh, what have all the other gods of all the other nations done? And Hezekiah in his prayer, he says, I know that other people have gone to their gods. And they have prayed to their gods. But their gods are made of wood and stone. And when you throw them in the fire, they do nothing. We have an active God. What does it say in this passage of Scripture? We have a God who hears. I love the way that the Old Testament describes that. When they pray, they ask God, and they say, "God, incline your ear to our prayers." John Eldred was talking to me when he was coming into church this this evening. I walked up the stairs. He walked up the ramp. He said, this way seems a little bit easier, right? And then he said, that way seems a little bit longer, though. He was talking about the incline of that ramp going up. And when I think about that, I think about an incline. I, I talked to kids, and, and he demonstrated ninth grade science class perfectly. Because we talk about the distance principle. It's easier to walk up a ramp than it is to go up a stairs or to carry something straight up cuz you're going up that incline. And you might have to take longer to get there, but the journey's going to be easier, right? When we pray and we think about God inclining his ear to our request. You know God, don't don't you picture God like taking his ear and listening to you like this. Sometimes um, at camp, one of the things that I had to do is if there was something important to a kid, I had to get down to their level and listen to them. I knew that that was a big, important thing, and I had to stop. I had to get down, and I had to listen to their requests because I'd be going a million miles a minute. God does the same thing. He inclines his ear to us. He listens. Not only does it say in that passage of scripture that he listens to our request, he hears, but he, it also says he opens, his, Hezekiah asks that he opens his eyes and sees. And it's important that we understand that we have a God when we pray. He sees what's going on in our life. He knows. He is observant. And he hears our prayers. And so as you feel that your world is being rocked and and everything is falling down around you, know that God is observant to it. He sees it. He knows it. He hears what you have to say. And he has the power to do something about it. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5 tonight. 1 John chapter 5. So we look in First John, chapter five, and verse fourteen. 1 John five fourteen says, "Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us." And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What about when you think about confidence? What do you have confidence in? Sometimes we have confidence in a car that it'll get us to where we are going. Sometimes does that confidence fail us? We have confidence when we, we invest money into something. We have confidence that there is going to be a return on our financial investment. Sometimes will that fail you? Absolutely. We put confidence in, in maybe a sports player. Uh, you know, the, I was listening today. Um, I've liked basketball since I was a young teenage boy. And um, today I was listening There's a lot of basketball teams that are putting their confidence in basketball players for next year, spending hundreds of millions of dollars. They can put their confidence in them, but in the split second, a knee can go pop, an ankle can be twisted, and a whole career of someone that you've just put your confidence in can be gone. But in 1 John 5, in verse 14, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything in our name, in His name, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. We can have confidence in God. There's a verse um, that I've been looking at in Isaiah recently, and it says in there, "We know." and understand and believe that our God is the one true God and there is no other beside him. I love that. We know and understand and believe. We have a strong confidence that God is who he says he is. And we can have confidence in prayer. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles and we're going to spend a little bit of time In John chapter 17, John chapter 17. As we think about prayer, you can't leave out John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays before he goes on the cross. And as he prays, he gets down on his his knee. Well, it doesn't say that. I shouldn't say that. It says he looks up to heaven as he is praying. And he prays to his heavenly father before he dies on the cross. And he prays for three things. And I think it's important for us to know as we think about Hezekiah praying for His people. I noticed the same three things in Hezekiah's prayer that Jesus prays in John chapter 17. Uh, The first thing that he prayed for is he prayed for himself. He prayed, you know, he is God. He is the son of God. And he prays for himself in verse in verses one to five. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So the first thing that Jesus prays for in this prayer is he prays for himself. The next thing that he prays for in John chapter 17 is he prays for his disciples. Especially in verses 15 to 17, As he's praying for his disciples, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I find it interesting that as Jesus is praying for his disciples, who are going to be scattered, who are going to be persecuted, who are going to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth and change the world, as he prays for them, he says, he says, God, I pray for them. I know things are going to be tough, but as they're here and as they remain in this world, they have a job to do. Uh, I'm sure we've all probably thought, as the disciples could, as Jesus prays here, God, why don't you just take me to heaven? If you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably won You said we say we sing songs like heaven is better than this, and it's like God, right now, just take us to heaven. I heard someone praying uh, as we opened church this morning. He said, "Lord, I pray that the rapture would be today, that the God would take." Uh, amen, hallelujah. If the rapture happened right now, I'm not complaining. But the rapture hasn't happened yet. And God says, I've got you on this world, and you are to make a difference in this world until I call you home. Amen. There's a couple of things that we need to understand as Christians. And the first being that until God wants us to go home, we are immortal. Is If God says it's not our time, we're going to be here. Until he decides to take us home, right? The next being that as Christians, if God's got you here still, you still have something that he wants you to do. You know what? We need prayer warriors. So if God still got you here, you can be a prayer warrior. We need people sharing the gospel. So if God still got you here, you can share the gospel. We need people training up, discipling. So if God still got you here, he's got a job for you to do. And he's working on you. Read verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He has a place where he wants you to be. I, I, I know uh, God has changed our lives. But how many people we have in here. Who are perfect today, just like Christ. And you're doing great and everything's wonderful and no problems at all, right? No. So, yeah. so that verse, verse 17, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth applies to us. He's praying for us that we'd be conformed to the image of his son. And another one. Pray for all believers, that they will have unity. Verses 20 to 22. I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, by the way. That they all will be as one as you are one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may they may be one just as we are one Jesus prays for us to be unified as believers that's that's so important and i've been so So thankful and privileged to watch church family really act like a church family. And to reach out and pray for others. To encourage each other. To be there. And we need to, as Christians, be unified and not divided. We need to be together. We need to encourage each other with love and good works. And we need to pray together. We need to be there for one another. We need to help each other. That's very, very, very important. And the more the more time I spend in the Gospels and in the epistles, I find that there's a verse that I'm really loving right now and Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, where it says that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We as Christians, we need to be joined together, unified in fighting the Christian life together, not divided. We need to have unity Let's turn in our Bibles also this evening to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, we read that God can answer any prayer. In Mark chapter 11 verse 24, it says, Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I believe that God can answer absolutely any prayer. I wanted to one time. There's. Sometimes as a teacher, things get lost in translation. You can imagine that. I'll say something in class and have a purpose and a meaning to it. And by the time it gets home to uh, mom and dad, the meaning and the purpose has been completely changed. I I was talking about the, the power of prayer. And as I was talking about the power of prayer in the life of the believer, and how Jesus Christ gave us that ability to to pray and see God answer prayer, I said, God is, when we pray to God, and I think this is important for teenagers to understand, is that God is not a genie in a bottle. It's not like you rub this lamp, and out comes this genie, and he says, here's three, I am at your disposal, here is three wishes. I see something totally different in the Bible. I see a God that says, I've created you for good works, for you to do right. And if you are my follower, and my, if you ask anything in prayer, believing, you will receive it. Not like you just walk up on a lamp, you, you rub it, and out comes this guy and he says, three wishes, whatever you want. That's not what I read about in the gospel. And so I was telling these kids, I said, I said, if you stop and you, you pray to God and say, God, give me a Corvette. Um, don't you think that God, and I remember saying this to kids, God in his omnis- omniscience, his all-knowing, all-wise, omnisapience, is not going to give a 14-year-old child a brand new Corvette parked at home in their driveway. There's probably a lot of reasons why. Probably the same reasons my father wouldn't have given me a brand new Corvette at 14, right? And our Heavenly Father acts the same way. And I was trying to teach them. Uh, I was. I remember telling the story of Amy Carmichael, who play, who prayed for what. For blue eyes, because she had brown eyes. And I I was not saying that God could not provide someone with a car, and that God does not provide someone, people with a car. Because I bet you if we were to ask around this room and say, how many of you guys have needed a car and prayed for a car? God has provided you a car, right? I'm sure that if I were to go around this room, we'd say, God's done that for me. And a mother came, called up and she says, you, you can pray for a car and God can give you a car. He's provided me a car. I said, I understand that. And I said that in class. What you missed was the part where God's going to give every 13 year old boy a car Corvette. That's a little bit different. God has the ability to. And he will answer our requests within his will. I believe that God If it's of his good pleasure, Isaiah 43.10 says, I will do all all that I pleasure. That's what God said. My counsel shall stand. I believe that God can give you a brand new car if that's his purpose and that's his plan. And I know that he's done that for many, many people. And he still has the ability to do it. I've never heard of a story of got someone praying for a brand new Corvette, but I'm sure there's there's that story out there. I'm just waiting to hear it. And our God has the ability to answer our requests. Any of them. I believe that wholeheartedly. We need to pray in his will, though. That's very, very, very important. Because look at this story of Hezekiah. He had a need, he was surrounded. He prayed and God answered. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We need to make sure that we are praying for our enemies. And whether it be like Hezekiah and we're surrounded by an enemy, and we need to say, God, this is a situation that I can't handle. See what's going on. Listen with your ears. And I pray that you'll do something about the Sennacherib in my life. Pray that. Love your enemies. If, you're, if you have someone in your life that is belligerent to you, pray for them. If someone is your enemy and you have no idea what you ever did to them, pray for them. Love them. Have you ever had an, an enemy that you just, you just said, I have no idea what I've ever done to make that person mad? And you wish that it wasn't that way. The best medicine that you could do is to pray for them, to love them, like Christ loved you when you were his enemy, and to make sure that we are doing these things. So tonight I ask you, if you feel like you're Jerusalem and you're King Hezekiah and the enemy has surrounded you, you feel trapped on all sides, And you feel crushed under the weight of what the enemy. Pray. Pray. God answers prayers. God has the ability to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Let's praise the God who has the ability, the power to answer prayers. Lord, you're a miracle working God, you miraculously heal. You provide above what we could ever imagine. Lord, you do things beyond our comprehension. You help us when we don't know where else to go. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us remember that you're good, that you have the power, the ability, the desire, to answer our requests. God you're so good. I thank you for. The fact that you. Answer our requests. I thank you that. Your counsel shall stand. Lord that you will do everything. According to your good pleasure. I pray that you might hear our request. Lord if there's somebody. Tonight, that that says, Lord, I need you to come down to my level. I need you to incline your ear to me and hear my prayer. I pray that you'll you'll listen to them, and I just pray that you will answer their requests. In your Son Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.